the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3 this Friday, November 6th, I was listening to Dennis Prager earlier today in his Happiness Hour, and he said one of the first rules of happiness is make sure you have good friends and connect with good friends. And it's a delight to reconnect with a good friend I haven't talked spoken with in too terribly long, and that's Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. I knew I wanted to talk to him at the end of this week, and I am delighted he could be with us. Pete, how are you, sir? I'm well. I'm well, Seth, and great to be back with you. Thank you. Once upon a time, William Buckley had this idea that, um, I think he wrote it in his book called Gratitude. I could be wrong about that, but he had this idea that graduating high school seniors should spend a year in another country before doing Mm -hmm. anything else back here. And I'm thinking maybe they should just spend a year in California. (laughs) because you know a day like today you know with the news going where it is it doesn't mean much to you you've lived you live you live with this it's in your air right no that's true i mean i I know our governor likes to think that california is the future of america and uh we certainly hope that's not the truth Um, and i think in many ways uh california is is demonstrating uh, is much more of a cautionary tale when you look at where we stand as a state. Um, but in that, I, I continue, as I think uh, only uh, one who came to my political leanings as a part of the, the Reagan generation, which I'm guessing you did too, Seth, yeah. that uh, we're to be optimistic yeah, about these things. Of course. And, uh, of course. and I remain optimistic it's, it is the american posture of course and it is. Uh, i think that is that is what we need to take even today and even here in california i mean you can't be can do if uh, a can do you can't have a can do attitude if you're not optimistic and quite frankly if there was one thing i heard over and over over the last several um, months from supporters of Donald Trump is they, you know, this is a can, um, a can-do president, and um, yeah. you can't do can-do without optimism. So don't don't give up the ethic. Don't give up the uh, ethic uh, and then uh, demand the function. Uh, old C.S. Lewis quote, right? You can't, yeah. um, you can't demand the organ and expect the function. Uh, take away the organ and, de- and expect the function. function. You can't yeah, castrate no, that's, that's the, right. and bid the geldings be fruitful, right? Yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, you know, part of this is about action, but part of this is about perspective. And as I said before, I think there is a certain posture mm-hmm. that those of us who are on the right need to need to claim. And and certainly in in times of stress and difficulty, we either believe in these principles or we don't. Right. And uh, right. it's not just in the sunshine that. Uh, we we laud and appreciate yeah. um, this great nation and, and yeah we're not that's a great that's a great other line we're not sunshine patriots right yeah right that's yeah. another great line that's a good that's point right. Pete uh, there's so much I want to do with you today um, yeah. let's talk about I, I I got us off track with the C S Lewis quote I, I just kind of gave you. 
Because there's one really that I have not been able to stop thinking about since you retweeted it maybe two months ago um, from a lecture he gave uh, on membership where he wrote, Mm. a sick society must think much about politics as a sick man must think much about his digestion to ignore the yep. subject may be fatal cowardice for the one is for the other that sick a sick society must think much about politics as a sick man must think what does a well society do see this is my concern yeah um yeah. Yeah. my concern is the left is always doing politics yeah. always because to them we are, are a sick society we are not a sick society Right. I don't believe we are a sick society, but they never give up on the politics. And we kind of discover it a little too late every 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 time. I think I think that is fair. I I would also say that when I I, I think one of the undercurrents of that Lewis quote, which you might remember, I I borrowed from from our uh, friend in common, Joe Lacani, who is now at Heritage. Notice that Lewis says thinks about politics. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And good point. I I think that there is something about when politics becomes purely a spectator sport as opposed to citizenship, which is an active um, engagement with with policy and politics. Um, I think that's a that's an important thing for us to. To think about, I think in in some ways, uh, and I hate I, I hate to say that this I, I I don't know if this is a majority or minority of of Americans, but we've we've taken to engaging with politics more as a spectator sport as opposed to something that we're really learning about the issues, engaging with others, working at the local level, thinking about the national implications. <laughs> And and if we continue just to think about politics as opposed to understand, engage, get involved, you know, that's that's really we're really letting down our on our responsibilities as as active citizens, because what you'd hate to have come out of this is just um, just an understanding that that politics is a either just a game or B is something that um we we don't understand our own, to borrow a term, agency mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in, in mm-hmm. the ability to chart the course for the future of our communities and our nation. Well said, Pete. We're talking to Pete Peterson, dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Um, let me try. Let me let me talk to you about the other part of that quote. Um, yes, must think much about politics. A sick society must think much about politics. Let's talk about this idea of a sick society for a second as well mm-hmm. and what you think he was getting to. I um, I was put in mind that that was a big line in the 1960s. And I think I think the best I could do, you may know better, you could do better, uh, or one of your students could if, if you didn't. The best I could do to find the origin of the phrase a sick society in the 1960s was from an L.A. Times editorial that kicked off this theme. And I remember in Nixon's uh, Richard Nixon's 1968 convention speech, he, he said, we are not a sick society. That was the whole theme of 68. We were a sick society. Uh, and from the left, right, or the liberals in the, and the left in those days. Um, 
it seems to me the left is still wanting to portray America as a sick society, sick from mm. sick through racism and bigotry mm. and white supremacy mm. and all the rest of that. Sick through economic inequality, if you will. If you listen to uh, the squad members, that's that's the disease they focus on the most. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you had this uh, terrible virus, which I think was blown. Um, the response of which the response to which I believe was blown out of all proportion to convince us we were literally a sick society. <laughs> it, it seems that the left has been at this for some time, and you know the you know the trajectory. The trajectory. It was it, it was a population bomb out of Stanford that was going to kill us, or it was nuclear right. winter. You 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 know we're always on the eve of destruction if you listen to the left. Yeah. It's it's a struggle to say I'm healthy and we're healthy, isn't it? There seems to be some kind of resistance to the notion that we're okay, and in fact we're better than anyone else. There's a real resistance. Yeah, no, that's that. so true. I'm I'm. Looking now, and I just found the book. We've just, we've talked about it before. Robert Nisbet yeah, yeah, yeah. had this. Uh, obviously, he's known for Quest for Community, which is really just such a powerful work. But he wrote a book about twenty years later called "History of the Idea of Progress," mm-hmm. in which he talks about this ethos around, and which is goes well predates the United States. I mean, we're we're going back into ancient cultures where he starts the book. But just this concept of our ability to progress mm-hmm. as human beings mm-hmm. and to do that through cultures and societies. And he goes through century after century from Europe and then really throughout the history of Western civilization to talk about how this really has been such a mantra that has driven um, great movements. Um, to help us realize, as to borrow from Lincoln, uh, our better angels, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. we are we are on a course for progress, rightly understood. But in the last chapter of that book, and again, this I think he wrote it back in the seventies, uh, or maybe late sixties. Uh, it was the seventies. In exploring the environmental movement. At the time, he begins to wonder, have we lost our faith in progress? Oh, good, good, good. Can you pause it there as the yeah. music comes on? Can you stay a bit? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, let's pick up on that um, that line, Pete, when we come back. We're talking to Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We'll be right back. But before I go, I see a caller here wanted to do a, a, a correction about a rally where Kelly Ward actually did was there. I, I had someone called in and said Kelly Ward wasn't at a rally. I said if she wasn't, I know how busy she is working on other things. This caller is saying she actually was there. So just wanted to make that uh, correction before it got any further out. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted uh, Pete Peterson can stay with us. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Great school, graduate study, great man, great thinker, and uh, someone I wanted to hear from uh, and talk to uh, this week. Pete, right before the break, you were talking to me about a a, a Nisbet point that I wanted you to expand on just a little bit, if you could. Yeah, so I pulled down the volume here from the the bookcase, and this this next-to-last chapter after going through all of this discussion around this idea of progress and how it's been really a 
a touchstone for Western civilization. He hits this chapter he titles Progress at Bay. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to read this this one sentence. He goes, for perhaps the first time in more than two millennia, there are enough intellectuals convinced of the hopelessness of our population consumer resources problems to communicate to an even larger number of people the futility of hopes for human progress. Now, he's writing there, I checked the copyright, it was actually right on the dot of 1980, and he's talking about the population explosion, you know, the the Malthusian pieces that were rife at that time. Certainly, nuclear war was was held to be something just around the corner, overpopulation and so forth. And and Nisbet is wondering whether, because it has essentially infected the intellectual class Mm -hmm. of the West, Mm that this was something that in and of itself was going to reduce our ability as a society, essentially create to function. that sick society. Because I, I think it's worth, I like that phrase, but I think it's worth defining sick society, and I think in these terms would be one that doesn't, that no longer believes in progress. Nice, nice. And and thus sick um, and, and, and paralyzes itself. I mean, engages in stasis and paralysis and isolation, right? Right. And, and, it, and maybe to tie it more together, it doesn't believe in progress tied to its own traditions. Okay. Right? You know, this this isn't just purely a a progressive argument, but I think certainly I as a conservative, I think you do too, Seth, understand that the progress is inherent, important and, and, and to be pursued, but in light of circumstances and who we are and what's possible. And uh, it needs to be mixed with prudence and the civic virtues that we've talked about so many times on this show. And uh, going back to what you just said, though, rooted in your own, you know, your own, uh, your your own. You didn't say it this way. I, I, I missed the phrase just a little bit, but rooted in your own um, ideology or belief system, because every social advancement we've made in this country for the good has been based on founding principles. Yes, it has. Every advancement we have made in this society for the good has been based on founding principles, which is why it has been so um, offensive uh, uh, and at the same time, I think, potentially disastrous to dispense with those founding principles the way the progressive movement has tried to do. And we've talked about this before, but it's worth bearing uh, repeating, especially now. I mean, when Martin Luther King calls the Constitution (laughs) a promissory note, that is essentially declaring that our founding was not only right, but necessary for grounding progress in our founding, in who we are, that it is not something that's simply a a blue sky search for perfection, but it's something that needs to be uniquely and genuinely American based on the Constitution, uh, which is in many ways a document that kind of governs uh, if you will, conservative progress mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> in such a yes. way um, that that is very human and very American. This is this is the battle always uh, since our since our beginning, isn't it? Um, those who looked back to our founding and saw a freedom document, which is what uh, which is which is uh, what uh, Douglas uh, D- Frederick Douglass called it. 
mm-hmm. and those who looked at it and saw it as a lie, which is what, of course, the vice yeah. president of the Confederacy saw it, Alexander Stevens, which yeah. is why it's so weird. Right. It is so darned weird that we have the left or the progressive movement among us today that buys the Confederate argument, the Confederacy of Slavery's argument, and not Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln's argument. No, I mean, this throughout the phraseology, you know, a more perfect union. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we have to acknowledge this is a a uniquely American view of progress. Right. Um, and one that's grounded right at the very founding. Yeah. Um, so these 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 concepts are are not only worth understanding and appreciating, but as I think all the great reformers have done, to call us to account based on those principles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to actualize that reform through the constitutional system as opposed to pulling it apart and saying that it was founded, as you say, um, you know, uh, badly. On a lie, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, on a lie, right? Well, that takes us to today in a sense, um, and it takes us a little bit to Donald Trump in a sense. I was talking about earlier in the week, maybe Monday, I was talking about it may have been missed in the news last week, but he created, put together by executive order, something called the 1776 Commission. Yep to teach and instill the values and lessons of 1776, which at once is a great thing, and yet in 2020, a terribly sad thing that it has to be done, if yeah. you follow my thinking. the need, That we need a commission to study our founding should have been the work of every civil institution up until to now and today such that we wouldn't need it. But it turns out we do. We do. Uh, my dear friend David Davenport, former perf- uh, president here at Pepperdine, mm-hmm. has just come out with a new report. You know, Orrin Hatch, when he resigned from, uh, retired from the Senate, created a, a Hatch Foundation that has focused specifically on this question of civics education. And I watched uh, David's webinar. He's a senior fellow at the at the Hatch Foundation essentially giving an overview of the state of civics education in America, and it is woeful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's something, frankly, that, that folks, good people on the left and right, should be able to agree upon, that at least our, uh, our general civic awareness, civic knowledge, uh, which is tested in various places, um, is not only in a in a terrible place, but it's been declining over the years. Um, you know, so. you, you you make such a great point that this is something we should be able to unite on, and it in part that point explains the fracture here. Um, we used to have American that one of the biggest American history books, or the most popular American history book, was authored and then co or co-authored by a man named Henry Steele Commager. Mm-hmm. And it was a great America. It was a pretty damn good American history book. Pardon my French. And I think yeah. it was Morrison, Samuel Morrison, and Henry Commager. Maybe I think were the co-authors. <clears throat> and the funny thing is, back in the fifties and sixties, Commager was seen as the left. In fact, if you go to William Buckley's opening statement in the first issue of National Review, he specifically denounces Henry Steele Commager and standing athwart history. He said Commager is one of the people we're trying to stand athwart. What I wouldn't do for that history book again. Can I can I keep you one more segment? 
Yes, and I've got a commenter quote. Yeah, I, I bet you would. I, I, <laughs> I thought you'd find that interesting. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have with us our good friend Pete Peterson, Dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Pete, um, talk to me about uh, what we were just saying. You know, we were talking about uh, the the abysmal state of civic understanding. Talk about removing the organ and demanding the function, right? Um, and that... There was a consensus. We think you could build consensus around civics and history. There was once one. And even the liberal most of the professoriate was the author, co-author of the American history textbook most in use that was really good. And what we wouldn't do for that again, you know? Yeah. No, that's so true. You know, Commager was definitely a historian, a man on the left. But at the same time, he understood the uniqueness of America. Um, you know, when you mentioned his history book, it triggered a thought of another book I'd read of his uh, called America in Perspective, which was a thin volume he wrote in the late 40s. And it's essentially a chapter by chapter compendium of these travel logs that were written back in the 1800s. Obviously, Tocqueville's is the most famous. Uh, Bryce, as well, wrote a, another very famous one about 50 years later. But there's one quote that I tracked down here uh, from Commager in, in the introduction to this book, which I just think is so relevant to this conversation. He writes, and I quote, that each nation has its own character is taken for granted, and it is neither chauvinistic nor provincial to observe that the United States is no exception. Unquote. Ah. Hmm. Wow. And so this this ability to even warts and all, but to say that America is a uniquely important place, history, culture, society, that just to label it as sick um, or founded um, on a lie is, is really going to the fringes of, of how America has been perceived, communicated and taught to mm-hmm. new citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're we've seen, obviously in in civics education to the degree it can be called that. And again, I just referred to David Davenport's report for the Hatch Foundation, which I think really does outline in in real detail, comprehensively, the challenge that we have before us, especially if we're going to ground these next months and years ahead to work together. Uh, as Americans. This is what the stakes are and have been in this election, which is why this cuts so hard here. Um, And it is interesting who you were quoting to me, because it does, I redound to this often, it does sometimes fall to outsiders, people not born here, who sometimes see us better than Mm -hmm. we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yes, of course, maybe starting with Marquis Lafayette and as you went through the list of your names and Chesterton and Tocqueville and the others, I I think we're at a place that I I really worry about that uh, Jean-Francois Ravel talked about mm. when he said a civilization that feels guilty for everything it is and does will lack the energy and conviction to defend itself. 
That's well, where I very, would. And it's and it, back to the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. If if Americans are a hopeful people, you you can't find a lot of hope in, for lack of a better term, that blame game. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Because because if it is all founded on a lie, then where do we go from that? Right. <laughs> right. You know? I mean, we're all still going to live here. I'm sure there may Dust be some of history. I mean, that's where we go. One. We go down. It's not. Exactly. It's not right or left. And, it's up or down. Right. Yeah. And and the only way forward is together. I mean, we all we all know that. Um, and if we're not able to see in other, in the other, um, that if you will, that uniquely American spark. If we're not able to appreciate that in one another. Man, it's going to be really hard to get through these next months and years. You bet. You bet. Well, we'll do it with you either way, Pete. I promise you that. We're going to need you. We're going to need you. Stay close. Great to be with you, Seth. As always, you too. Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Website, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. You want a good institution? That's a great one. Be right back. Welcome back to the welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Your show the rest of the way out here. Let me put in a word for my good friend James Wexler of JMG Real Estate. He is the real estate agent here in Phoenix and Scottsdale that guarantees to sell your home at market value or pay you the difference. Can also make you an upfront guaranteed offer within 24 hours of you reaching him if that's more convenient. If you're thinking about selling your house, you want James Wexler. If you're in the midst of it and it's not going well, Give James Wexler a call. Call him at 480-386-0711 or visit him online at jameswexler.com. That's James Wexler, W-E-X-L-E-R.com. You leave no money on the table when you use James. All right, where am I going to next? Ryan in Mesa. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Um, I really enjoy your show. I appreciate uh, all of the comments. And I, I just had a... Uh, a couple of quick thoughts. You know, nobody likes seeing uh, everything go to the courts. Right. My first thought was, well, right. I hate to see this. Right. right. And then somebody said, well, it's not about Trump. And that made me feel all that much better because uh, it's not about him. And then I started to think, well, who the heck wants to be in office illegitimately? Right. And and he does not want to be. Right. I kind of I get that feel. He does not want to be, but at least one party might be okay with that. Interesting, and that is ridiculous. I mean, you're just talking about a sick society. I think that's a sick society. Well, it's a sick society that puts ideology over norms and practices of equality, fairness, due process, and liberty. It's yeah. a sick society that believes in control and victory. At any cost. Listen to this, if you will. This just cropped up today. Something called the Trump Accountability Project. Did you hear about it yet? Trump Accountability Project. These uh, seem to be a lot of former uh, Pete Buttigieg staffers. And one of them tweeted out today, The world should never forget those who, when faced with a decision, chose to put their money, their time, and their reputations 
behind, and then they went through the litany of things of Trump, encouraging racism and anti-Semitism, negligently causing the economic loss of life from our country's failed response to the COVID-19 effort. We will follow them. We will make sure they do not get jobs. They should never be forgotten. Another person in the Trump Accountability Project added to that, writing every administration staffer, campaign staffer, bundler, lawyer who represented them, everyone. And I am wondering what has happened to us here. What has happened to us here? I have been talking about how the left and too many in the Democratic Party find Republicans and conservatism illegitimate, not part of the mainstream and thus not 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 needing to be heard, not not needing to be covered fairly, not needing to have First Amendment rights. That's how they justify it. Right, Ryan, because we're we're extreme, we're intermention, we're we're not part of our views are not part of acceptable thought in this country. And now we see that they're taking it a step further. Now, I don't know that this is a big movement, but the idea that people even think it's publicly okay to speak that way. And that's even better said. Um, One other quick thought is, you know, some of these people like uh, um, uh, they say there's no proof of fraud, Mm -hmm. you know, and these are these are the um, newscasters. Well, follow the flag. You've got to follow those, number one. And then I saw I saw a picture on the Internet, and um, it, it, showed, it, it was a white male sitting down working. He was on, on the left side of the picture. There was a plexiglass separating uh, him from an African-American male, and they were fist bumping through the plexiglass. And, you know, it, what, what's real interesting is this whole narrative about um, uh, about, oh, now there's empathy, because that was the, the headline, empathy, you know, in times of trial. And, and the thought to, came to me, there has always been empathy. We have always loved our African-American friends. And then now... Oh, the notion that it's new today. I want to Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, because yeah, now, yeah, because yeah. now we say it's here because, you know, things are going to turn yeah. once we're in power. Yeah. Because we say it's happening, yeah. it's now happening, and that's another aspect of the sickness you're talking it's about. It's a they huge sickness. It. The idea that we are a racist society is an idea that we are a sick society. I was quoting Larry Elder earlier, who was on TV this morning, t- addressing some of this, and he has a million anecdotes. The one that stood out for me was the one of Abilene, Texas, which supported Donald Trump by 80% and also has a black mayor. You know, he said this notion, you know, this notion that there are these racist dog whistles or screams, if you want, coming from conservatives or the Republican Party exist only in the imaginary mind of the Democrats and the left. Um, and 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 the notion to paint us as a racist society after, gosh, so many of the stats I spoke about in my monologue today, if you missed it, you can go back and get it. But. It's it's it it's 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 a sickness to make us want to be sick, right? It's it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a Munchausen by proxy in society to make us want to be sick. The idea that we are sick and the constant desire that we be sick, but it's also well, it also has a strat, but it has a strategy to it too. It mm-hmm. has a strategy, and the strategy to it, of course, is in the extreme 
you don't engage in revolution when everything is great, right? <laughs> that's that's well said. I think they get they they feel better about themselves being in the power and saying, "Well, we control it now." Mm-hmm. See it see it happening. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why Joe Biden last night could say. In his press conference, I'm asking everybody to stay calm, for all people to stay calm. Boy, really? Thank you. After, after, after four years of sirens and bloody murder and racism and riots in the streets, you could say nothing. Now that you think you're on the cusp of power, now's, yes, now we can all be calm. Thank okay. you so much. I appreciate <laughs> Thank your time. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you, too, and all of you. God bless. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. It's uh, been a great um, great time spending the day with you, and I've really appreciated it. And um, we'll, uh, we'll get through this. I, was, um, rece- I received a text from a dear friend of mine, Gene, listening to an earlier conversation about what to do next. And it started with a call earlier in the first hour. And you know my my ideas about the schools and education. She added three more things. Educate yourself to what conservatives are doing and what liberals are doing so you know what you're talking about. Speak your values. Be honest about what you believe. And don't be afraid to speak up. Don't let them cower you. Use the power of the purse. If a business shows that they don't share your values and they're proud of it and they want to turn their business into a political megaphone, don't spend your money with them. Find a business that doesn't and tell others. There's a lot we can do here, folks. There's a lot. And it isn't over yet. It isn't over yet. And if it's over, it's still not over. A end of a battle is not the end of a war. Be of good courage. Remember what Ronald Reagan said. In 1976, when he lost, the cause goes on, and boy did it, and boy can it. Until Monday, God bless. I'm Seth Liebson, class dismissed.